tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 has any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio Hello. <laughs> I suppose it's not good radio to say, wait a minute, I'm looking something up. No, 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 let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, enkindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. You know, maybe maybe I've pioneered sort of attention deficit as a way to study the Bible. I, t- I see something I thought, what 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 word is that actually? So well, that's why. I, uh, all right, let's go to the reading. And again, <laughs> this is First Samuel three, verse one to ten, and then they leave out nine verses and go to twenty. But I want to talk about the nine verses that they leave out. You know the story so far. Uh, Samuel is the son of Hannah and Eli, or Hannah and Eli, uh, and. Um, she has been childless. The Lord blesses her with a child, and uh, then the um, uh, she has promised to dedicate this child to the Lord. And when the child is about three, brings the child to the, the shrine at Shiloh, the temple at Shiloh. And uh, ever after, you know, and there's, you know, they visit, they do all those sorts of things. But basically, this kid was given over to the Lord at the age of three. And he's from uh, a Levitical family, a priestly family. Uh, So, well, the lamp of God was not yet extinguished. Now, that's kind of interesting. Um, uh, The lamp was always kept burning. What this may refer to is um, the the extinguishing of the lamp when the ark is captured by the Philistines, and Shiloh is is abandoned. And archaeologically, that actually happened around, I think, by 1050 B.C., there, Shiloh was abandoned, and that's because the Ark had been taken from it. Well, let's, let's get back to the, the text here. Well, uh, so Samuel was asleep, and he hears a voice, uh, and uh, he runs to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Um, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And then you called me. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. 
And then the third time, uh, he, he says, um, um, uh, here I am. This happens three times. And, you know, three, again, I've said this before, but three is a very significant number in in the numerical system of uh, uh, the Jews and Hebrew. The third time is definitely the charm. You go to synagogue and you sit in the same place, three Sabbaths in a week, that's your seat. And if you come to, and somebody's in your seat, you, you look at them and they move. Um, that's that's why we have, why three is such an important number uh, uh, in terms of, of worship. You know, we do holy, holy, holy. We used to, and with Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Uh, we used to do things, a few more things in threes. Lord, I am not worthy. We used to do that in threes. And what happens is when you say holy, 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 it's absolutely a sure thing. When someone is dead for three days, he's dead. Um, that's why Jesus spent three days in the tomb. Because the people say, well, he wasn't really dead. He would just resuscitate. No, three days, he was dead. That's why Lazarus was in the tomb for more than three days. He was dead. So that's this idea of threeness is very important. Well, Samuel is being called. The third time, uh, uh, Eli, the priest, understands what's going on. If you're called again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I always get a kick out of when people say, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. That's the way we pray. We're the slaves of God. God, and we treat God as if he were our slave. And we're going to see that in this reading. Well, the Lord came and stood. Now, this is where it ends. But this is what the Lord told Samuel. Uh, he said, uh, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make everyone the ears of everyone who hears it ring. And that's what I was looking up. What is the word for ring? And it means, uh, it's it's a funny kind of word. It means quiver, uh, uh, tingle, you know. Uh, it'll make their ears burn, where your ears burn, that kind of thing. So it isn't quite ring. I, I, it's not terribly important, but, well, I see something shiny and I go, all right, let's get back to First Samuel. Uh, and again, this is not in the reading, but it's very significant to understand what's going on. Um, on the day I will carry out against Eli everything I've said about his house beginning to end. I am condemning his house because of this crime. Now, listen up. This is 1 Samuel 3.13. Are we all paying attention? 1 Samuel 3.13. I announce to him that I am condemning his house once and for all because of this crime. Though he knew his sons were blaspheming God, he did not reprove them. Now, the word for reprove is is a significant word. It, it's kind of hard. Hebrew verbs are very difficult, I, especially classical Hebrew. I do not pretend to, to really know them. Uh, I can muddle through them, but this is a, um, uh, an aspect of the verb or I suppose you'd call it a tense of the verb that that is very difficult to understand. But it seems to be um, to reprove. Uh, it can also it comes from a word meaning to darken, uh, which I, I don't know how that comes to mean reprove. Uh, it, it's in the PL form, which don't ask me anymore about that. Yeah, that's I'm impressed that I can even say that. Well, not really impressed. Never mind. All right, PL. It sounds educated. Uh, 
the the you know I, I think you know our kids are doing awful things right you know I mean I got a letter from someone about this um, what do I do uh, that my kid is having his his wife over or not his wife his girlfriend over and mother thinks it's fine this is this is such a difficult thing for a man to to be the only one in his family who who believes in a traditional morality and there's good reason to believe it it just is statistically true that if if uh, people live together or are intimate before marriage they are that significantly increases the possibility of their divorce and divorce is a bad thing bible says that uh, um uh, this uh, that that uh, god abhors divorce now well i'm divorced and you're saying i'm awful no i'm not there are there are reasons to divorce and to separate we've always believed that in the church if a marriage is not in fact a legitimate marriage it can be annulled even if a marriage is legitimate and there's genuine physical or psychological abuse and people are in danger that's a reason to separate but it 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 is it has to be grave well we don't love each other anymore you mean you don't will one another's good which of course is the definition for love um you took a vow better for worse until death do us part that was what your vow said you're going to break a vow well yeah yeah i i didn't realize yes you did um if you did genuinely didn't realize if you didn't intend permanence i, I don't want to get into this stuff about annulment i believe in annulments i think they're real that to recognize there was never a marriage in the first place is real however annulments are not catholic divorce divorce is not a good thing well the kids are old enough it is always a painful thing i've seen so many families you know people divorce later in life you know that that the sister-in-law has been a member of the family for 25 years who do you invite to christmas the new the new uh, uh, uh live in or the the legitimate wife who's been part of your family for 25 years i've seen so many families break up over this it's not it is not a light thing and should not be considered light well anything you can do to strengthen marriage for your children is fine however people have almost no support in the medical community in the psychology community in the and even in the religious community for sticking with it in a difficult time uh, um, Chuck Neff uh, uh, who was with us for so many years wrote a wonderful book on this uh, called the deal it's a, it's a really very enjoyable novel about about uh about marriage and uh so at any rate i'm just shilling for for chuck uh but it really is a good book but the um um what am i talking about here let me get back to the subject eli did not even reprove you and i have a moral obligation not to make life miserable for people not to kick them to the curb but to let them know minimally I, I can't go along with you in this. I love you. Well, can't you support me? No, I can't support you in this. You know, nothing I can do about it. 
I'm, I'm powerless in this situation to change your opinion or the opinion of people who are supporting you. But I want you to know that, that I, I think this is wrong. Um, there, I've said it. And I'm not going to uh, treat you or your, well, oh, good grief. What time is it? How, how involved do I want to get in this? The word concubine, very interesting word. A concubine in the Bible is someone with whom you have a quasi-marital relationship but cannot marry for economic, social, religious reasons. Uh, a man might have a wife and a couple concubines. We see that with Abraham. He had two wives and two concubines. It comes from the Latin word concubinare, which means to recline with. That's all it means. Someone with whom you have a quasi-marital relationship, to whom you may not marry for social reasons, uh, for... for uh, reasons of society well that's the proper word concubinage and there are male concubines and female concubines it is a a gender uh movable word in in latin uh it can apply to a man or a woman uh so i invented a word um no, i won't go there well yes i will why not um in english when we hear concubine we we think of that as a uh, a woman so the masculine form in english for a concubine i suppose would be a concuboy but that's just me and in inventing a word i'm a little hot about this you may ex forgive you would will forgive me but the the absolute lightness with which we uh, approach one of the most sacred things given to humanity the ability to bring new life into the world and the ability to form permanent relationships with one another is under such attack and if you've been through a divorce i don't want you to think i'm yelling at you uh you know better than anybody that one should prefer uh, a painful disease to a divorce in most cases now there are legitimate reasons uh, genuine abuse that that end in separation but it's not to be taken lightly. And concubinage, which is the proper word for that, that quasi-marital, unmarried relationship, concubinage is very, very wrong. And as parents, we need to let the kids know, you know, you're going to do this. Don't think that we approve of it. Um, uh, I have a very dear friend who, uh, uh, whose son went to college and decided to... Uh, to, he announced to his parents that his girlfriend was going to move in. And uh, they said, oh, so you're marrying her. No, we're not getting married. Well, you are, in effect, uh, creating a common-law marriage. I'm way off the track here, but, well, meh. It, it, it's, uh, you, you, you're married. That means give us the car keys, give us the credit cards, and we will forward your bills for school to you. And this kid was so stubborn, he did it, and to this day, they're still married. I think the parents let them know the responsibilities of marriage. So I think this is a very important thing to, to not say, well, it's okay, and I want to support you, dear. That's what Eli did, the priest. He said, well, so the boys are stealing. The boys are, are uh, you know, the, the my sons, uh, Phineas and Hophni, they're, they're stealing from the offerings and they're, you know, they're, they're abusing the women who come to pray at the sanctuary. But boys will be boys. That was Eli's attitude. His entire household was destroyed. I swear to Eli's house, no sacrifice or offering will expiate its crime. Well... Eli said, tell me everything that the Lord said. And you know what Eli's attitude was? 
Well, it's the Lord. What is pleasing in the Lord's sight, the Lord will do. In other words, he said, meh. <laughs> well, read on in the story. Uh, that uh, We'll talk about that uh, later, that the, the ark, because of this, was lost to Israel. That that the, the Israelites came and took the ark and wanted to use it as a talisman in battle. And Phineas and Hophni, Eli, they didn't stop them. Uh, they just said, meh. You know, we live in an age of moral laxity in which, well, who am I to judge? Do you not know, as St. Paul says, that you will judge the angels? And remember, to judge, when we talk about judge in the modern world, we remember condemn or, uh, uh, um, condemn or, or, or acquit. That's not what it means. It means to give good counsel. It is not simply a, a, a legal and forensic um, job. It means to, to lead the nation. The judges were the leaders of the nations. And to judge meant to give good counsel. Are you giving good counsel to your children, whether they want it or not? And I'm not saying disown them, throw them out of the house. I'm not saying walk off in a huff and never speak. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they need to know where you stand and why you stand there on these issues. Okay, I'm calm now. Let's let's uh, go quickly to the gospel here. Um, <clears throat> this is kind of a fun gospel because uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite gospels in Mark. And they, I don't agree with the translation here they have. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Well, we see that Jesus entered the house of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was sick. And, of course, there's only one way you can get a mother-in-law. By having a wife or a husband. And there are people to this day in Antioch, in Syria, uh, who claim descent from Peter. Um, Peter, you know, well, he, there are people who say, no, 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 that, that all the wives of the apostles... Uh, went into uh, kind of a convent sort of thing. I don't know. I wasn't there. But, surprise, Peter had a wife. And we read in First Corinthians, uh, or second, I think it's Second Corinthians, rather, that uh, he traveled with his wife. And according to the church fathers, Peter's last words to his wife, as they took her away to be executed in Rome, was, Remember the Lord. Uh, and I think that's a very beautiful thing. So <clears throat> I, I, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that celibacy is not, I, I couldn't have done in my life what I did had I not been asked to be celibate. But, um, on the other hand, at different times and different places, priests in the church have been married, such as St. Peter. All right. Um, rising early before dawn, he went off to a deserted place where he prayed, and Simon and those with him pursued him, and on finding him said, Everyone is looking for it, for you. Let us go into the nearby villages, that I may preach there also. They leave out a word. He doesn't actually say that. In the Greek text, it's agomen alahu. They're looking for you in town. He says, agomen alahu. Let us go elsewhere. <laughs> you know, uh, I love that. As a priest, you know, they're looking for you, Father. <laughs> Let me go elsewhere. Uh you know, there's a spiritual um, dimension to this beyond the the humor with which it struck me. Um, he's not there to cure their sick. He's not there to to uh, uh, solve their problems. He's there to obey the Father. And sometimes we forget that about the Lord. He says, "Let us go elsewhere and preach." And he says that I may preach in the nearby villages. That's literally what the text says because this is the purpose for which I've come. His, his purpose 
was not to be their healer, though he was their healer. His purpose was not to be their provider, though he was their provider. His purpose, if I dare say it, wasn't even to be their savior, though he was their savior. His purpose was to honor the Father. And when people say to you, oh, you got to come to this meeting, you got to do this, you got to be in this committee, you got to, let me pray about it. If, if I, I believe it's what the Lord wants, of course the Lord wants it for you. I mean, clear, it's a good thing. You got to do this. Uh, let me pray about it, because if the Lord wants me to, I will do it. But if, if I don't think the Lord wants me to do it, I remember in the, in the, in the prayer groups, um, there were people who were in church nine, ten nights a week, and their children never saw them. Uh, their first commitment was, was, was their marital commitment, their sacramental commitment to uh, their wife or husband and children. And they neglected that, 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 um, that sacramental commitment for the sake of politics or church politics or being in the choir, or being on the committee or going bowling. Um, no, uh, this isn't a matter of convenience. This is a matter of pleasing the Father for Christ. And it's a matter of pleasing the Father for us. All right, I've talked long enough. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with letters. And uh, I'm sure I'll calm down. Oh, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Do call and, and throw me a few softballs, as it were. Well, I'm sitting alone. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. If you're in old habits, set in your old ways, changes are a-coming, cause these are changing days, and if your head is in the sand... Set in my ways? Nonsense! Don't be ridiculous. Call me Mr. Flexible. All right, let's 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 go to letters. <laughs> okay, here we go. I've got all these letters. I'm going to try and knock off a few of them here. Okay, uh, I did that one yesterday about Saint Paul referring to the scriptures. He was talking most probably about the Septuagint, the Hebrew scriptures in Greek, and um, uh, somebody asked for the. Um, the definition of uh, of orthodoxy that Rabbi Lefkowitz and I came up with. Uh, actually, this father is Father Matt, and uh, who says he was not comatose when I was teaching him dead languages. Uh, but um, oh, I did I did read this letter online, but I thought it was uh, I wanted to mention that definition of orthodoxy again. Uh, that that orthodoxy is the belief that God has spoken, and our uh, our duty. Our, our, our responsibility is to hear as clearly as we can and obey as fully as we can. We're never going to get it 100% right. St. Paul says um, um, uh, we prophesy in part, we know in part, in 1 Corinthians 13th chapter. But orthodoxy is not the attitude that I'm right and you're wrong, uh, but have we heard God on this? You know, and I think that's that's the important thing to ask in the church. Have we heard God in this? Now, God is not going to violate the word he gives us in scripture. He is not going to violate the consistent tradition of the church. But but we need to ask ourselves in, in our personal lives and in our life uh, communally as a church, 
is this from the Lord? Is this what God wants? I think orthodoxy is a very, very uh, open position. Uh, it isn't uh, the hidebound position that people think. So that was the definition. And um, uh, Father Matt mentioned that uh, the kingdom of God is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whereas it's not really talked about in John's gospel. They talk about the Logos. So God's basilea is his Logos. God's royal nature is his very his very <laughs> working mechanism, I suppose you'd call it. So that's, that's, that's uh, uh, something that I wanted to re revisit. All right. Um, <sighs> this is a really tough question. I heard once, this is from Rob, um, uh, I heard once it's a mortal sin to disobey or ignore your conscience. Is this presuming you have done your best uh, to inform it by Catholic doctrine and teaching? If it's correctly formed and you don't follow it, is that a sin? For example, a fervently pro-life person believes it's better to kill one person than to allow him to kill the lives of thousands. And I just wanted to comment, you may not do evil that good might prevail. Uh, a person can be, can be, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't believe in capital punishment, but I think a Catholic doctrine does admit, you know, that, that there are situations in which it is a necessity to remove someone from a position in which they can harm others. Um, that's a very slippery slope, though, even what I'm saying. If a person has given evidence of, for instance, Hitler, would it have been the moral thing uh, to kill Hitler? Uh, not before Hitler was Hitler, not for his ideas, but for his actions. I think that would have been quite different. So um, this idea of following your conscience, once it is clear that the Lord has spoken through the scriptures and the church, that settles it. You know, well, I know that the Bible says you shouldn't commit adultery and the church says you shouldn't commit adultery, but my conscience is telling me I should. Well, your conscience is wrong. Uh, once once the Lord has spoken definitively on this, that, that that is what forms our conscience. And this idea of killing uh, one person uh, so that others might not die, to die for others, that others might not die, that's the example of Christ. But to kill, I, I, evil may not be done that good might come through it. I think it's it's. I think that that's the moral principle, and uh, I'm. It, it's a hard thing to grasp because well, if only I could. Well, that's a ridiculous question. Oh, if I could have gotten into a time machine and gone back and killed Hitler and saved all those people, um, that's to ask that question is not possible because that is not possible certainly not this time so um there you go all right i know we cannot attend sede vacantist masses but what about masses said by sede priv privationist groups oh i know that we cannot attend sede what is a sede vacantist those are the people who say there's no legitimate pope well what's a sede privationist that yes, there's legitimate pope, but he's deprived of authority because he believes primarily in the Second Vatican Council. No, you may not attend those masses either, um, uh, because they are uh, 
uh, equally not in communion with uh, the uh, with the whole union of the church, the whole gathering of the church. You know, I think people who have problems with the liturgy as it is and problems with the moral collapse of so many theologians say it's the fault of the Second Vatican Council, and it is not. Read the documents of the, of the Second Vatican Council. We used to constantly be told about, well, in the spirit of Vatican II, by people who'd never read the books, read the documents. They are beautiful documents. And we believe that they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've never read anything in the, in the council documents with which I, I could, to which I could not say the amen. And they reiterate uh, Catholic, Catholic teaching. Um, but this idea that was kind of foisted on my generation in seminary was the spirit of Vatican II. We all know what the council fathers really meant. They might have written this, but they wanted to go farther. No, they didn't. They wrote what they wrote. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, inspired them. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it is in, in a state of emergency, uh, a validly ordained state of a contest priest can give you the sacraments in a state of emergency. And I'm sure I say that I've never known anyone who said a privationist, but no, they are not. We are part of going to mass on Sunday is to, to be in communion with the church throughout the world. And on the left or on the right, you have people who, who refuse to be in communion. You know, uh, the, the, the clergy who make up, we, when we make up our own prayers on Sunday Mass, we're depriving people of that fullness of communion also. You know, the, the prayers that you will hear in Church A should be the prayers you will hear in Church B, C, and D, with very few legitimate exceptions. That's to express on Sunday our oneness in, in worship. And so this kind of exclusivism or elitism is not simply the curse of one group. It's the curse of many groups. And we need to be in communion with one another, with the Holy See, and with our bishops. It's just, this is what's pleasing to God. Um, this This kind of politicization, which means if I disagree with you, you are wrong and evil. Well, no, I disagree with you. Maybe I'm right. Maybe you're right. But I agree with the Lord that uh, when he said, Father, that all may be one, uh, that uh, the world might know that you've sent me. Realize that, that in the Gospel of John at the Last Supper, Jesus prays, Father, that they may be one as you and I are one, that the world might know that you sent me. The world is looking at us and laughing at the moment. And the devil is giggling <laughs> along with them. And if I become this defiant, angry, I, I don't mean that you shouldn't have knowledgeable critiques of things, but you speak the truth in love, as St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians. You don't, you don't, you know, that you don't demonize anyone because when you demonize someone else, it's only yourself you're demonizing. You're cooperating with the demons. That's my opinion. Oh, well of which I have many. Let me let me just do one more letter just because I got so many of them. All right. Now, <clears throat> Father, 
three of the five holy days of obligation are about Mary. I know she's important, but why do we have more than one holy day of obligation about her? I will explain by by sharing a story of my having spoken with a great Pentecostal teacher, my favorite theologian, the Reverend Billy Bob, um, many, many years ago. He was saying, Catholics, I don't understand Catholics. You know, this mother of God, God, how can God have a mother? Well, he's assuming that, that uh, our cultural deal, that, that uh, hierarchy means chain of command and you obey your mother. So the mother's greater than the son. That has nothing to do with it. The Council of Chalcedon was dealing with people who said that, well, Mary was the mother of the humanity of Jesus, but not the divinity of Jesus, because the humanity and divinity of Jesus were quite separate. And that's, that heresy still exists. There's, there's one theologian I heard uh, who's very popular. He's, you don't hear about him as much these days, but he's still out there. He's very popular and would talk about Jesus uh, being jealous of the, of the beautiful accommodations in Sipporah, a Greek city. Jesus was jealous, and that Jesus uh, must have stayed in, uh, awake at night with longing. Jesus was overcome by concupiscence because Jesus was human. Well, yeah, Jesus was human. He had the perfect humanity of Adam. He didn't have my fallen humanity. He had humanity as it was designed. And this idea that Jesus' humanity was somehow divorced from his divinity, that's what the Council of Chalcedon said that you can't divorce the humanity and divinity of Jesus. That's why Mary is given the title Mother of God. She's the mother of the whole Christ, human and divine. And it's it's a teaching about the the nature of Jesus and that humanity and divinity have been wed in the person of Christ, and there will be no divorce in that marriage. So that doctrine of the Blessed Mother has to do with Jesus, as all of the others do. Uh, the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, and the Feast of the Assumption is about our hope of, 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 of resurrection. So these, our Blessed Mother is the icon of the church. She is the paradigm of the church. She was the first person to accept Christ. And the church at one time in history had only one person in it, and that was our Blessed Mother. So you want to know what the church is like? Look at that woman. Don't look at the old, old crabby guys like me in plastic collars. Look at, at her, the wife, the mother, uh, the, 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 the virgin, the, the, the caring, uh, compassionate woman. That's the paradigm of the church. That's how God sees the church. And so what we're doing when we celebrate these Marian feasts is we're celebrating Christ glorified in the church. Um, so at any rate, that's, that's again my opinion. We're going to go to a break. I'll come back with a word of the day and we'll open up the phones uh, at 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, I love those hills of old Virginia, from those blue ridge hills I did roam. When I die, won't you bear me on the mountain, far away? 
Goodness, my Blue Ridge Mountain home. Well, I, I don't know about that. Great song. All right, let us go now to the word of the day. Well, I got a call yesterday, and I completely duffled the whole thing um, about the word pharmacon. In the book of Revelations, pharmakia is condemned. And what is pharmakia? Doesn't the word pharmacy come from it? Yes, it does. And the word pharmacon probably comes from a root, an Indo-European root, that has to do with plowing, uh, uh, or it may have to do with cutting and scraping, uh, like a medicinal herb, a root, something cut off, dug up, maybe, who knows. But it has to do with with uh, digging up roots, probably, and, and growing herbs. Now, I spent many, many years living among the Puerto Ricans, um, and the uh, uh, there was a great deal of African voodoo in certain parts of Puerto Rico, and Christians invariably rejected it. It's similar to the uh, Santeria of Cuba, the Condomble of Brazil, that, that the slaves, West African slaves, brought their religion with them and just identified the... Uh, um, uh, these West African gods uh, with um, Christian symbols. You know, you'd see what looked like a statue of the Blessed Mother, and you'd ask somebody, who is that? Oh, that's this god, that's that god. And West African religion is about possession trances. In other words, you take certain herbs... <laughs> And you dance, and you and the spirits come into you. Again, don't do this at home. It's a very dangerous thing. If you invite a spirit in in any way, using like a Ouija board, that sort of thing, uh, they might not leave. And uh, if, if there were no such things, well, it would be just fun parlor games. But they are not fun parlor games. Very, very dangerous. But that's the idea. So this... Herbal medicine um, was a very important part of this this West African religion that that um, is current in the Caribbean, uh, the Voodoo in, in Haiti and in uh, in uh, New Orleans. So the stores in which you bought these things were called botanicas. Now, a Puerto Rican who who is fresh off the island in the old days. I mean, Puerto Ricans now are much more savvy about these things, but they would see something like the botanical gardens and they would think, oh, that's witchcraft. <laughs> Botanica and botanical are very similar to the Greek word pharmakon, which means a drug. Now, in Sirach, 38, chapter 38, verse 4, we read um, the Catholic Ed. This is one of the so-called Catholic books, The Wisdom of Sirach, but we believe it's inspired scripture. And this is the 38th chapter, the fourth verse. Uh, maybe, let me go one verse before. Um, uh, the Most High uh, has created, well, in verse 3, 38.3, The skill of the physician shall lift up his head. In the sight of great men he shall be praised. The Most High has created medicines out of the earth, and a wise man will not abhor them. This uh, the was was not the bitter water made sweet with uh, with wood. The most high, or the virtue of these things, is come to the knowledge of men, and the most high has given knowledge to men, 
that they may be honored in uh, um, that they may be honored in his wonders. By these he shall cure and shall allay their pains, and of these the apothecary, <laughs> the pharmacist, shall make up sweet confections and shall make up ointments of health, and of his works there shall be no end. Um, for the peace of God is all over the face of the earth. Now, this is Sirach, 38th chapter, the third verse and following. Um, so the idea that, that uh, someone will say, well, we don't take medicine because pharmacia is condemned to the book of Revelation. It's very clear from the context of Scripture that, that, uh, it is, that, that the Lord has given these things. Their misuse is evil. Their use is is godly. So, if someone tells you the Bible forbids taking medicine, they haven't read the whole Bible. They've only read part of it. All right, let us now go to phones. Hello. Well, hello, whom? Who do whom do we have? Clyde from Ogden, Utah. Clyde, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Can you hear me? Okay. Oh yeah, fine, fine. Oh. Uh, Holy water. I have yes. a, a wise, devout friend who has a water from Lords, and he says that mm-hmm. it's he can add water to the bottle, and it does not dilute the holiness. That is, if he has one drop left, he can refill his bottle, and it'll still be the equivalent of Lords holy water. And well, if that is the case. If that is the case, can I take a drop up, put it in the lake, and will it go upstream? No. <laughs> the the what we were taught in seminary, and it does sound a little a little like a good a good uh, Talmudic Pharisee. If you add water to holy water, Lord's water was not mentioned specifically, but if you add water to uh, 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 holy water, and the water that you add is less than half of the the uh, uh, of the existing holy water. In other words, I don't add more than half. That that uh, the whole the, the the sanctity of it is not diminished. Now, how they came up with that, I don't know, and uh, I think there's actually a limit. Uh, the, the distance at which I can consecrate or, or sanctify water with a priestly blessing. Was it 60 paces or something? So I could try to bless a large lake and it wouldn't work because, well, the blessing didn't stretch that. I know it sounds odd, but that's what I was taught in seminary. And, you know, I think the problem here is when we look at this with superstition, as superstition, you know, that, that um, uh, I love the, 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 catechism reference on superstition that superstition superstition is the belief that an action without the proper disposition of the heart uh the, the superstition is the belief that an action a religious action without the proper disposition of the heart is efficacious that's a superstition you know i can just have this stuff and no it's it's the matter of the heart and and uh you know what you want to do what you're doing, you know, all these sacramentals, these external things, you know, the devil is a very good lawyer. <laughs> he really is. He knows the rules back and forth. And he can see all of history. He can't see the future except insofar as God allows him to do it. But he sees all of history because he's been there. And he can see when I bless holy water, 
he can see that that I am conferring a blessing because I was consecrated a priest. I was ordained a priest by uh, Cardinal Cody, who was ordained a bishop by such and such, who ordained a bishop by such and such, all the way back to Christ. There's a physical chain uh, that reaches from Christ to me to that water. And you see, I'm not just a soul trapped in a body. I'm an incarnate spirit. My body is really me. And the the ministry of the church touches our minds with scripture and with theology and with thought, touches our spirits with prayer, and even touches our body with sacramentals and the blessed sacrament. So the whole person, body, soul, and spirit, is ministered to in the sacraments and by these sacramentals. Now, the attitude that says, well, all I need is a drop and then I got the magic, that's not going to bless, you know, but to maintain this connection with this physical connection with Christ through the sacrament of holy orders. That is real. Does this help at all? Yes. Yes. Good answer. Thank you, Father. Well, a little more than you expected, but hey, that's what I do. I take a simple question and give it a complicated answer. It's a gift. All right. Thanks for calling in. Oh, who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Patrick from Madison, Wisconsin, what can I do for you? Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon. I I was just curious. I saw that there was a pig heart transplanted into a gentleman recently and um, was curious on what the church's teaching might be on that situation. That is fine. Uh, as far as I know, um, the pig did not get too much out of it, but uh, then again, we, 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 we don't believe in the immortal soul of pigs, and we can use them uh, where they're given to us for our use. That's not immoral. What is a much greater moral question is what they call chimeras, where you take human genes and put them into an animal combining a hybrid. Uh, I think... That, that I, I you know, again, I'm not an, a moral theologian or an ethicist, but there you're getting on very shaky ground. Uh, whereas using, uh, you know, to use a part of an animal for our benefit, that's what I intend to do for dinner tonight. Uh, so uh, uh, the, putting a pig's heart in someone, uh, it sounds awful, but I, it, I don't think it's immoral. Does that help? Yes, thank you, Father. Good, good. Hey, a simple question and not too too complicated an answer. I hope I'm right. But yeah, the Chimera thing is is very very iffy to take, uh, especially where 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 did you get those cells that you're putting into that rat to make it more human? That's that's very dangerous and very slippery slope. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Elizabeth from Gilbert, Arizona. What can I do for you? Hello, Father. I um, have yes. been listening to Jonathan um, Rumi, who plays Jesus Christ in the series mm-hmm, yeah. The Chosen. Yes. And he gave some personal interviews. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he talks about having been baptized as a Greek Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then joining the Roman Catholic Church as he got older, mm-hmm. they confirmed him in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is, wasn't he already confirmed and not in need of another confirmation? Uh, I'd like to say yes, he was, because the sacrament of chrismation uh, occurs in the Greek Orthodox Church and First Communion 
at the bap when you're baptized and if you're baptized as an infant you are anointed uh with anointing oil uh the early church did it that way what probably happened with um uh i can't think of his name the fellow who played jesus is when he came into the catholic church he was confirmed uh if i'm wrong about this again i would i would like to be corrected if there's someone who is a, a better theologian than i and there's a lot of them but his confirmation would have been conditional. Uh, we used to baptize conditionally. If you were baptized in another Christian group, even if it was probably a valid baptism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we would baptize people conditionally. We no longer do that out of respect for our fellow Christians and the recognition that we are united, at least in baptism. However, with confirmation, uh, I, I'm sure the people who brought him into the church saw this as an opportunity for him to accept uh, the promises of his infant baptism and it might have been conditional if you have not been confirmed already. And then he was able to publicly express his faith and be brought uh, into church as you're supposed to be in a, a ceremony before a congregation. Uh, that's the way it should happen. Some, it doesn't have to happen that way. There are sometimes emergency situations. But I imagine that's what happened. Does that answer the question? Well, well, in a sense it does. Um, but uh, my children were eight, were baptized Byzantine Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oh, they well, went then, to Roman yeah, Catholic school. Yeah, yeah. And they went to Roman Catholic school. The 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 school told us they do not have to be confirmed. In no, fact, they, they did no, not they, take part exactly. in the program at all. No, absolutely valid so confirmation. Was, absolutely valid confirmation. So that was what confused con- me about about him. Yes, yes. I imagine he was was confirmed uh, conditionally given the opportunity as an adult to express that faith. Whereas your kids, uh, they were as kosher as they needed to be. And I have great, great respect for the, the Eastern churches who, who managed to, to keep the faith. Uh, and, uh, you know, what we do is we have people, you know, the joke about uh, the pastor who had uh, mice infesting the church and the, the, uh, his friend told him, well, it's easy. I, I just got the mice and I baptized them and confirmed them, gave them their first communion. I haven't seen them again. Byzantine people right. have persisted in the faith. They go to Sunday school all their life. And it isn't to prepare for the sacraments. It's to express the sacrament and their love for Christ. So bravo to the Byzantines and bravo to the, the Eastern Church in general. So, yeah, no, your kids were absolutely validly baptized, confirmed and communed. And uh, I imagine it was an exception for this fellow uh, that... Uh, in order for him to express his own his own commitment to Christ and the faith. So, all right. Speaking of commitment to the faith, well, Drew's coming up. Don't go anywhere. Well, unless you're in a car. But keep the radio on. And pay attention to the road. Look, look at the road. Look at the road. <laughs> 